Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Riverfront, your home for discussion and analysis of Cincinnati Reds baseball all year long. Here's your host, Chad Dotson. No, that was the old intro. Sorry. Um, So this is the Riverfront. This is episode number 419. This has been an extremely eventful week, not just for the Cincinnati Reds, but for the Riverfront. And uh, so we're going to unpack all of it. I'm Chad Dotson. Welcome. Welcome. With me again this week, my buddy Nate. How are you, Nate? Chad, it is. Uh, it's great to see you. I'm great. I'm uh, honored to be in your presence, and I want to put it out there for anyone who just listens to the podcast. This guy is not just a pretty voice; he's also a pretty face. Okay, yeah, it checks in the mail, Nate. <laughs> um, Chris Garber, I believe, will be joining us at some point here uh, soon. But uh, you know, uh, we'll take Chris when we can get him. He, he gave me a hard time about our start time tonight, uh, the podcast, because you know he had some things going on in his life, and I was like, "Listen, listen where are you going to go? You go on this podcast or nowhere? Come on!" There's one so <laughs> um, we're going to get to that story, the "Where are you going to go?" story, very soon. Obviously, that was one of the big, uh, again, big moments in. Um, of the week, maybe the biggest moment of the week. And also, you know, we're going to take just a little bit of credit for it as well. I mean, that's not entirely us, but we're going to take a little bit of credit um, and we're going to do a little bit of a victory, victory lap in some ways. Uh, but I, I, I've spent the week just laughing, just we'll get to it in a minute. We don't need to get into it too much now, but I have just <laughs> laughed at how um, average ordinary fans, which we are and which, you know, the family and everyone around this whole uh, hash Brown sell the team Bob thing is, uh, and just uh, the what? Well, Nate said it best. I think it, I'm gonna steal words, but um, that we broke Phil Castellini's brain, <laughs> and it wasn't just us, but we did, right? Just a, a little bit. It's it's. I don't want to say the word great because it's not great. The reason this whole thing exists is because of a series of non-great things. But the uh, the fact is, a tiny community of loyal and passionate Reds fans push this movement forward and um i don't think you can argue i mean certainly you can argue whether or not it was successful depending on how you want to define success but it was impactful it mattered and it certainly caught the uh caught the public attention it did i want to i'm gonna wait for chris garber to get here because i know he has some unique thoughts about it i want to dive into it with him a little bit so let's talk about the actual baseball in the field first and then we will get to uh (laughs) phil Ah, so anyway, the Cincinnati Reds, after a week one week on the uh, on the baseball diamond in the 2022 season, are two and four. They split the opening series with the Atlanta Braves. A lot of positives to take away from that series. A uh, ton of positives. Uh, you know, splitting with the uh, Atlanta Braves, the defending champs in Atlanta on their home field, and you know, even the games they lost, they were one run losses, and they they kind of battled the whole time. Uh, Nate, uh, you know, just you and I've talked about this a little bit, but. It, now that they were away from that series a little bit, it looked an awful lot like, uh, I don't know, it, way more positives than negatives. Would you agree with that? I, I don't I don't see how you can't agree with that. The guys played hard. There were some – I mean, you split against the World Series champs. The Braves are going into this season expecting to be better than they were last season. Obviously, World Series champs are uh, – you know, it, it's, it's, it's a hard goal to attain, but they, 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 they improved their roster in ways where I think that they – Expected or at least hoped to come out, uh, come out firing, and the Reds battled them. They battled them all four games. Now we came out with a split, but I mean, I think every Reds fan left that four game set in Atlanta pretty pumped about what could happen in uh, 2022. Yeah, opening day uh, down there, obviously a six to three Reds victory. And uh, as I joked the other day, I always dreamed about the the day when the Reds would have a, an opening series in which they celebrated a ring ceremony on the field, and it finally happened. 
but uh, this is the, one of the few years in uh, in baseball history where the home opening series was not actually in Cincinnati. So 6-3 win on opening day, led by Tyler Malley, and uh, just looked uh, incredibly good. Malley pitched the opener of the second series of the year as well against uh, the Cleveland football team, and um, and lost, and he had some bad luck. He created some of that bad luck himself because he committed an error and, and threw a wild pitch, but um, it was not quite as sharp. It only one earned run. And so uh, I want to start there because we have Luis Castillo injured, throwing a live bullpen session tomorrow, close to being back, hopefully. Mike Miner went on a rehab assignment, and he looks like, um, yeah, not good, not good at all. Um, so, and he may be out again. He, he, he may be hurt. He's hurt again. So, um, it may be later rather than sooner on him. But with Castillo back, that's kind of the guy that everybody is presumed to be the ace. But to me, Tyler Malley through two games, I have zero, zero issues with, with Malley. You know, he's he's 1-0. He has a, an ERA of one after two games. That's not bad. But um, I can live with Tyler Malley being your being being the ace here. I, I just – if you listen to this podcast any length of time, we're episode number 419, and for at least about 412 of those, we've been pumping up Tyler Malley. Um, any thoughts? I, I kind of took the, the wind out of the, out of the room there, but you have any thoughts? Um, nothing nothing important. Um, be excited. Be excited about Tyler Malley. Um, this guy's – yeah, he, he left a little bit early in his second start, but all the signs are there. If this guy's your number two, I think – we can all be pretty happy with that. Um, we get excited about, you know, you know, like big numbers, shiny objects, which is what happened with his uh, opening day start. But let's be honest, this guy's, this guy's not asked to carry the load for this entire rotation. So you got to feel pretty good about it. Yeah, and I wanted to start with the pitching uh, because I think most of the projection models had the Reds' offense as being a, a projected to be a, a, certainly above average offense, and not maybe not the best in the league, but above average. Um, and, uh, so I wanted to, but I want to start with the pitching cause that was where uh, maybe a little of our concern was preseason simply because Castillo's hurt. Uh, minor is hurt. Um, the Wade Miley and Sonny Gray, I presume still exist somewhere in this uh, multiverse, but no longer in Cincinnati. And so, uh, the Reds were depending on some unknowns. I mean, listen, Reaver San Martin started game two of the season and that was a complete and utter disaster. Uh, and not that not that I'm down on San Martin. He is what he is. Uh, you know, probably a reliever, maybe long term. But he's a guy with a lot of con- control everywhere he's been in the minor leagues, and he struggled. He struggled in his start. But the reason I want to start with pitching was not really Tyler Malley, and it's not Luis Castillo, and it's certainly not uh, the Reaver front. It's Hunter Green. Nate, can you kind of uh, encapsulate briefly for us? Yeah, exactly. Hunter Green made his major league debut against the Braves, and his ERA after that game is five point four. So we are upset, right? It was a disaster. I don't know how you could be less pleased with what we saw from Hunter Green. Okay, and now enough of the sarcasm. It was amazing. I, I, anybody that wanted more are the ones that need to be chastised. This guy came out and threw the most effortless hundred mile an hour fastball I've ever seen. He got the case. He was composed. He was poised. He just has – I mean, he passes the eye test. I think that uh, Hunter Green is going to look really, really good. I was listening to a different podcast today where they were ranking which rookies that you would want you know, going forward um, if you were starting a team. And two of the three guys picked Hunter Green over Bobby Witt Jr., over all this, some, some of these other big names. He's made an impression league-wide, and uh, yeah, I hope that – that reflects well on our ball club. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this was the biggest – I guess the last time we were this excited about um, a rookie starting pitcher coming up, I mean, probably Homer Bailey, I, I think. that was. Yeah, you know, he was uh, just the stud uh, pitching prospect, and uh, and Bailey ended up having a good career. I know he leaves a, left a bad taste in some Reds fans' mouths, but uh, not me. I mean, you know, I like, I like that guy. Um, Hunter Green, though, just – when he stepped on the mound, and you talk about easy gas, this guy throwing 100 mile per hour fastballs like it was nothing. He threw more. There's only been one pitcher since they started measuring this. Only one pitcher that has logged one starter, I should say, that's logged more 100 mile per hour pitches in a single start, and that's Noah Syndergaard. I mean, uh, it, it's just it, it was his first start ever. I mean, he just looked 
like the moment that it was not too big for him that he, you know, he struck out six in his first three innings. Uh, and his, you know, his secondary pitches, slider looked good. The changeup looked good. He's going to live on those because he did give up some home runs. But uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to hearing what uh, I think Chris Garber is trying to log on here. So maybe in a moment we'll get his thoughts on it. But um, just uh, just outstanding. Now, Nicoladolo made his Major League debut, de- debut a couple days later. Not as good. Okay. He did what you expect many rookies to do. Oh, get ready. Let's get excited. Here he comes. The man, the myth. Woo! Yeah, we need to, I, need some, I need some kind of uh, theme music, I guess. Don't I? <laughs> we do, yeah. We've been we, that's oh, all we've been dude. talking about is you the whole time, just right, right. pumping everybody up. Yeah, yeah. yeah about Hunter yeah, Green, actually. Do you have any thoughts about Hunter, Hunter Green? Green? He's good. Heard he's a baseball player. Well, I, I think you. that uh, people keep in mind, like Lodolo's performance is probably a more accurate representation of what we should expect from a rookie pitcher. Although yeah. I don't. I expect Lodolo to be better than that. Of course. Right. But, but yeah, but he's, he's a rookie. These guys are going to, they're going to have bad days. They're going to let their emotions get to get the best of them. Um, Hunter Green came out and he, he threw some fire and it was great. And we loved it. And we hope we see that for the next, you know, 15 years or whatever, however long it ends up being. But let's not get too down on uh, Nicodolo either. I'm done with Nicodolo. I've, I've given up. I've given up hope. Fire. Uh, Hunter Green, Chris, I want to ask you about Hunter Green. Were you as, as surprised as I was at just his poise? That he looked like, to me, he looked like a veteran in game one, and maybe that's a function of being on a, the cover of Sports Illustrated in high school, and he's had the spotlight. But I don't know. I keep saying the moment didn't seem too big for him. Does that surprise you? Yeah, you know, I don't know. I don't know if it surprised me or not, but it was really noticeable. Uh, he just, like you said, poised, and he looked like a he did not even just like a veteran. He looked like an all-star, like the way he carried himself. You know, not just I've been here before, but I've been here before, and I expect to do really well. Yeah, you know, before the season, I can't remember who's on the, the podcast now. We did a dumb Oscar predictions special, and one of the things was who's going to be the best rookie on the team. And I think everyone on this show predicted that the best rookie was going to be uh, Nick Lodolo. I don't know. Yeah, it just it seemed like a safer bet, you know, because Hunter Green's younger and – uh, after watching both of them one time, I think the, the Lolo is still going to be good. But get, but I, I, Hunter Green is just—I'm afraid to say his name for for well-known reasons. But man, uh, yeah. Every time I every time I say his name on Twitter, somebody says, "Keep my wife's name out your." Wait a minute, no, that was somebody else that told me that. It's a different story. Yeah, mixing up my stories. So anyway, um, that was the big news, and really the only news of the opening week of the season was Hunter Green. I think. Nothing Except for the one that we teased earlier. And we didn't really get into it yet, Chris. Chris you I guys already to... covered Chris Drury. <laughs> yeah, whatever whatever that guy's name is. Um, Jack Farley. <laughs> oh, Zach Farley, otherwise known as Jake Farley, is batting third tonight out there in L.A. Batting third. What you get? Where are you going to go? Where, where are you going to go? All right, so let, let's get to the story, you know, that kind of dominated the coverage. It was opening day in Cincinnati. It was really the home opener. It wasn't actually opening day. It was the home opener. But Cincinnatians treated it like they always treat opening day, and there was a big crowd for the first game. And, uh, you know, a lot of the pomp and circumstance, all the excitement of, of, of an opening game in Cincinnati. And so they're doing the thing, you know, WLW's three-hour pregame show. And, well, they bring on – Phil Castellini, Red's chief operating officer, Phil Castellini. And is he related to uh, Bob Castellini by any chance? I mean, it's kind of a coincidence. <laughs> it is a coincidence. I'm not sure, but I'm sure he got the, the job of COO completely on merit. On merit. Much as, yeah, it must just be a, a coincidence. Well, so Mo Eggers on the, uh, is, is one of the co hosts of this segment. He basically says, uh, you know, my, my other co host ask you about the quote, show a little faith in us, right? And I saw you got right through the coals, and you have people saying faith is earned. 15 years of ownership. They haven't won to the extent we like, and so you had my faith, but you lost it. Why should that fan maintain trust in you? Well, we're going to play the clip now of Phil Castellini answering that question. I'm sorry you all have to listen to this again. 
That's the bottom line. Sloaney asked you about the quote, show a little faith in this, right? Yeah. And I, I saw you got right to the Colts. So you, you have people who say, look, uh, faith has earned 15 years of ownership. They haven't won to the extent that we would like. And so you had my faith, but you've lost it. Why should that fan maintain trust in you? Well, where are you going to go? <laughs> Let's start there. I mean, sell but the team to who? I mean, well, that's the other thing. I mean, you want to have this debate? You know, if, if you want to look at what would you do with this team to have it be more profitable, make more money, compete more in the current economic system that this game exists, mm-hmm. it would be to pick it up and move it somewhere else. Yeah. And so be careful what you ask for. You know, I think we're doing the best we can do with the resources well, that we I, have. I, I, we're no more pleased yeah. with the results than the right. fans. I'm not sitting here saying anybody should be. I'm not polishing any trophies in the office <laughs> yeah. right now, and that's what we're here to do. Um, but, you know, the bottom line is, and, and I do think we've had to shift the discipline. We've tried a lot of things that didn't work, uh, and they came this close to working and didn't. Nobody's got to right. tell me it you didn't work. It. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, I get it. So I think we've learned Different from those approach. things. And trust me, Nick is, is, a, is, a, he is a guy on a That's mission. And uh, he is a bull in a china shop that has his way to do it, and that way is to grow your own, and he's doing just that. Okay, now I'm going to play his second interview here in just a moment, but there's a ton to unpack there. But let's talk just a little bit about that sum up. I mean, the first thing is obviously, well, where are you going to go? And But then immediately after that, he says, sell the team to who? Now, look, we can't claim all credit for, for breaking Phil Castellini's brain, but there's no question, I don't think, maybe we're just glorifying ourselves here, but I don't think there's any question that our little effort, uh, you know, to put up the billboard that got, uh, you know, basically was all over the place this week, all over the place except for one media outlet, uh, the Cincinnati Inquirer, never reported on it. That's the only media outlet that did. Um, and so he says, sell the team to who? Do we do a victory dance here? Or, you know, do we, do we get any portion of the credit for breaking his brain, Chris? Well, so, you know, I mean, I guess that's – the question is what are we trying to do? Are we trying to tweak him and troll him and – and as they say in poker, put him on tilt because he is on tilt. Yes. He is not in control of his emotions. He is not in control of his words. He is not in control of his actions, at least on opening day, the day that, you know, as our friend Amy described it on Twitter, the holiest of holies. And he's out there giving the middle finger to Reds fans. Um, so I don't know if that was by design. I couldn't say, but it certainly was what happened. And uh, one thing I caught in that that I hadn't heard before, hadn't noticed before, was Mo was trying to cut him off and ask a follow-up and kind of challenge him on that first answer. He's like, well, yeah, but you haven't, you know, I know he's going to say you haven't won. Right. I wish he'd have been been able to to ask that question. Yeah, I think Phil wishes he would have been interrupted. Well, I don't know, because if he interrupts and asks that question, it maybe it tweaks him a little more and he goes off. I mean, you know, well, it's works. clear that he didn't think there was anything wrong with that answer, as we'll get to in a minute. Well, let's go ahead, let's go ahead and play that now, and then we'll try to unpack the whole thing. It was absolutely clear because WLWT tried to give him a chance to walk those comments back. They literally held his hand <laughs> and gave him an opportunity to walk those comments back just a little bit later in the day, and Phil wouldn't take the bait. I don't want to put you in a tough spot here, but some comments from earlier this morning on the radio are making their rounds on social media. I was just going to try to give you a platform to respond to kind of what you said earlier today, because I think some fans are taking it the wrong way, possibly, or feeling like they're rubbed the wrong way. Okay, which what, what, you have to be more specific. Uh, just saying that, you know, what else are they going to do? Um, well, the, the, the answer is, are you going to abandon being a Reds fan? Are you going to abandon following this team? We haven't abandoned it. We haven't abandoned investing in the team and in, in the community. So the, the, the point is, how about everybody just settle down and celebrate and cheer for the team? You can, you can hate on us all you want. We're not going anywhere. We haven't abandoned our commitment to winning and investing in this franchise and in this community. So the point is, stay tuned and be a fan. Celebrate these guys and look what they did in Atlanta and, and come out here and celebrate that today. All so right. whatever the message was heard, the, the, what I mean is stay loyal to your team and the players that give you 110% effort. Nate, thoughts? <laughs> Oh man, I am uh, I'm running hot. I thought I, I thought I was over this. Um, do you notice how like you know, two or three times while that's happening, uh, Brandon Soho looks at the camera and that look in his face is very obviously like you're getting this, right. You believe this? He's actually saying this. I'm getting ready to go viral. <laughs> the first face oh, I'm get. 
Oh man, like um, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna drop some real like only true journalists will know will understand what I'm about to say. Uh, this guy's a turd. He's just a big rich turd, and that's that's my breaking news. I mean, there are so many ways he could have answered that question in a way that was disarming or milquetoast that didn't cause himself and his organization more problems. Um, You know, yeah, we're as unhappy as anybody else. No, nobody likes to lose all these years. Doggone it, we've been doing our best, but our best isn't good enough. I don't blame him for questioning me. You know, we love your support. We ask for it. Don't take it out on the players if you're mad at us. There's so many things he could have said, and he kind of got around to a couple of them in the Mo Egger interview, but it's clear that he is personally very bothered by the fact that some fans dare to question and criticize what he's doing and what he's done. Yeah, I've never really seen a scenario play out like this where they were given every opportunity to just make what you said earlier better. Like that was the entire point of this this interview. They just doubled down. I was like, no, it was fine. The rest of before was fine. No big deal. It was like uh, 9 p.m. when they finally issued their uh, their apology. You know, it like took that long for the public relations team, for the the management to realize they had a problem, or for someone to talk him down uh, off a ledge into issuing a you know a bland statement of apology. I think Chad is uh, cut off from the world here in communications. <laughs> he's frozen out. He's he's just strangely silent and deferential right now. I think he's frozen out. I'm sure he's got something to say. Um. We'll take it from here. We'll take it from here, boss. It was it was, it was crazy that. Who am I? Why am I here? Yeah. What just happened there? A nice Stocksdale reset right there. Well done. I know, right? So anyway, you're listening to the last uh, or watching the last podcast we're ever doing on this particular service that we're using. Just, you know, for the record. Um so anyway, I presume you guys were laughing about uh, about Phil Castellini. Did you did you talk about maybe my not favorite's not the right word, but uh, you know the most interesting part of his comments, which is this. Um, so be careful what you ask for. Now let me see where is it here. Oh yeah, here we go. No, no. If you want to look at what you what would you do with with this team to have it be more profitable, make more money. Compete more in the current economic system this game exists. That was the third thing he mentioned was compete more. It was make more money. It was all, how are we going to make more money with this team? How do you expect us to make more money if you're yelling at us? Did you all comment about that? No, no. But that, yeah, it's clear like what the priorities are. I'll give them a little slack on that because it's very evident that their mentality is that they can only spend what they bring in on any given year or so. So if they don't have the revenue, despite the other money they've got, despite the valuation they've got, despite windfall checks for different things, they don't believe they can spend money that they didn't bring in in the prior 12 months or so. So I do think from his mind, that's all tied together. Um, It is interesting. He says profit, though, not revenue. (laughs) For a guy who's never, you know, never taken any money out of the team. Well, only just that one time. And maybe that wasn't really baseball money. Yeah, yeah. it's just uh, – it's embarrassing. It's it, it, Well, what's funny about it, I guess we should, we should say, what, what, it's not funny. It's not funny from, from our perspective as fans, frankly, but just the fact that we've been kind of screaming into the void for, you know, weeks and months and years, and now all of a sudden, in one fell swoop, this was national news. It was everywhere. And, and really, really, uh, uh, you know, it was – the the coverage was extremely negative, and then uh, you know they uh, they had the, the the prepackaged apology tour or not tour but just the, they, they released an apology. Phil, Phil saying he's sorry, 
uh, any thoughts about the, the apology later that night after they realize, after the game, after they realize what a mess Phil had made yeah. of thing? Well, we talked about that a little bit, and, and we thought it was obviously telling that they didn't send him back out anymore. <laughs> Funny how that works. I mean, that PR team's been awfully busy. And, and I will say there are a couple folks in that shop that I really like who are really nice and have been good to us. Um, but the Reds PR team, whether it's at the direction of the boss or themselves, over the last 10 days has had a very specific approach to this. And it has not been to advise their client, their boss, their leader, on how to present better to the public. They did not prepare him to address this in a positive way before opening day, home opener. What they did was try to work the referees. They called the inquirer. They called the flagship station, WLW, their network. And they, they talked to those reporters you know, the, we you, we had the Jason Williams article last week. You know, the Get Off Bob's Back article. So I don't know if you saw, but he had another one last night. Oh, I haven't seen this, really. He came out with another one that was basically a Phil screwed this up. Like, you know, he called it he called it what, it, what for what it was. But in the article, you can see he he name checks like seven separate staffers from the Reds PR team who were all great and nice people who deserve better. And he had talked to Phil Castellini before he wrote that column last week. So you start to see a little bit of the curtain blows open and you see that this was all orchestrated. And I mean, we thought it was, but it was, it's all kind of clear now that all of that was a public relations campaign, not to say not to say that the ownership was doing a good job, but to question the fact that they shouldn't be questioned in the first place. Exactly. Exactly. It's, it's really interesting to me. Obviously, I, I, I joked earlier about how um, the Cincinnati Inquirer was the one a print outlet that never covered, it, except they did make a uh, they make uh, made they linked. I think to, to maybe some coverage or just mention it maybe in that Jason Williams piece, like, so get off Bob's back. I know you doing these billboards and you know, whatever, but get off his back. Um, but I, I spoke to some people at the Inquirer and tried to tried to pitch the story and said, I'm available to talk if you want. No WLW where uh, I was called an idiot on air uh, <laughs> over the weekend. You have, it, or I guess we all were, uh, Called idiot. Scott Thrown in that conversation said this was the stupidest thing he'd ever heard. Stupidest, mm. stupidest, stupidest. Yeah, putting up billboards. And uh, <clears throat> WLW, I was told um, that they weren't allowed to cover the story about the billboard. And so, so you see, so, so what, what you're, you know, kind of putting two and two together on the PR campaign, it's a fact. It's a fact. They went all out on their media with their media partners. I mean, I didn't expect Mark Sheldon to write about this at, you know, MLB.com. I mean, come on. I mean, that's, but the rest of those guys um, wouldn't touch it. And there's a reason why. Well, so, so let's be amateur media critics and PR critics. Was that smart? Did that pay off? Did they in fact protect their client? I don't think they did. Because eventually, he was going to go out into the wild and feel empowered even more by how that reaction had been. And what you saw is the viral, the virality, and the national media. It was it was catnip for them on a Tuesday afternoon, and they all just ate it right up. Yeah. And that's why the, that's why there's an apology. Not right. because we were irritated, but because it got it got legs in the national media. Right, right. The, the, the people who the Reds can't control, can't keep their thumbs on. Yeah, exactly. No yeah, I mean, you saw guys like Joe Sheehan and Craig Calcaterra. As soon as they saw that, it was on. Oh, sure. Any of the national, any of the national guys, they got to feel they got to feel content. Yeah, and it was glorious, glorious content. 
And what better content than this trust fund kid with his red coat and his sunglasses on on the field and looking just like every douchebag you've ever met in your life. Forgive me for using that term, but there's no other there's no other way to describe it. The way he looked on that field and just and the complete absence of any recognition that he may have said something you, that was you got to be more specific. Come <laughs> on, man. <laughs> what are you talking about? It? Come on. I, oh man. Yeah, it uh, it was something. I, you know, and, and real quick, let's get into the idea if we got a minute, that the the only way this team is going to be competitive and be able to spend more money is to move. Well, thank you, because or, that's where I wanted to end this conversation. I think yeah. we need to talk about this. Or, or And or, if you sell the team, they're going to move. Because those are two complete fallacies, in my opinion, that underlie – that was kind of the defense. That's the defense in the story. That, and I think it's sincere. That's where their point of view is. You're going to sell this team? You want me to sell the team? Well, I'm going to sell it, and that guy's going to move right to Charlotte. He's going to make tons and tons of money, and I'm a good guy because I'm not doing that. And and, and people, buy, people, people buy it, number one. People buy that argument. Number, number two, it's the same exact argument that's used every time some team wants to um, force a locality to build them a stadium. Well, we'll just, we'll just move. And how many franchises, Nate, I'll, I'll bring you in because uh, you're sitting patiently while we rant <laughs> uncontrollably, but you get in a room with a couple of lawyers, that's going to happen sometimes. Um, how many teams have moved in the last 50 years? One team. The Reds are not moving. It's an empty threat. Nate, what do you think about this whole idea that they're moving? Maybe I should have not accidentally hit the mute button on Nate's uh, mic. I apologize for that, Nate. Boy, this is, I was this waiting. This is a professionally run podcast. Let me just tell you. This, no uh, wonder you've been sitting silently, Nate. I yeah. you muted this it was four stations, but I was being super gracious. I apologize. I really love it. You're gracious. <laughs> let, let, me start, let me start back three minutes ago. I, I'm ready to go. No. Um, <laughs> The, uh, the owners have to approve any kind of major decision like that. And you think they, there's going to be any sort of approval for them to move the, uh, the, the, the oldest franchise in the league? It's not happening. It's, it's, it's a 0% chance of happening. Um, it's a nonsensical threat. But like you said, people, people believe it. That's why they did it. I just get no, uh, no shortage of amusement knowing that that first – they've been happening like they created this entire world to allow him to be in be in the public eye and address this man he butchered it he fumbled the ball so hard and they're like oh crap we gotta scramble we gotta we gotta we gotta fix this right now we got this and he did worse <laughs> what what other position unless your dad owns the business can you get up in front of the camera and microphones and say we have failed the entire product we are we are supposed to be providing, and we're losing money. <laughs> like the, the, product, the product doesn't work, and we don't make any money off of it. But trust <laughs> us. And, and then and then go out and yell at the customer. <laughs> yeah, how dare you not buy it more? <laughs> uh, well, you gonna stop being Reds fans? This, uh, is the, this is the conversation that yeah, Chris and I have had bro, the yeah. for years. Yeah. Lots of people stop being Reds fans, bro. It's happening. Wake <laughs> up. If the beer tastes terrible and doesn't give me a buzz, I'm not going to drink it. Oh, my gosh. Years ago on this show, I mean, it's, it's probably been seven, eight years ago on the show, Chris said, you know, if I go to a pizza place and the pizza's bad, well, I may go back the next time or the service is bad. And if it's bad the next time, well, you know, okay, maybe I'll give it another shot, but. I'm not going to continue going back to, to frequent this business. No matter how good it was when I was nine years old. <laughs> exactly. Right. Um, and yet yeah. here we are still talking about the Reds every week. There's nowhere they're going to go. I, you know, the idea that somebody buying the team is going to move them just because they want to like do it in their own hometown. The owner of the Cardinals lives like in the same neighborhood as Castellini. Yeah. Yeah. Cincinnati. I mean, I it's, think- 
He's lived in Cincinnati his whole life, as far as I know, and he's never talked about moving the Cardinals to Erlanger. A <laughs> Rod owns the Minnesota Timberwolves. It this works. Sense, I mean, yeah. yeah. So it's 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 again to me, it's just the same extortionist threat that you that for that got the Reds to build Paul Brown Stadium in Great American Ballpark, which has been just a disaster for taxpayers. Um, been pretty good for the Castellinis, though. I just, I don't know. We need to stick a pin in this because we've got some other things to talk about. But um, I just, the the arrogance and the confidence that Phil Castellini had in those interviews is just so, it's it's almost like a, uh, you know, uh, what's, what's the word I'm, I'm thinking of? It's a, it's a caricature of a trust fund kid. I mean, it's just, oh. he, he, he truly believes that he is where he is. What, what did uh, what was the famous quote about George W. Bush? He uh, was born on third base and thought he hit a triple or something, whatever it was. Uh, yeah. Um, you know, I just – how I mean, is that guy the spokesperson? So, I mean, and you can contrast this. Uh, we'll, we'll move on. But you, it's hard. Like, again, I'd like to have been born with my great-grandpa being – owning a massive company and everything. But I get there. It's not easy. You are born in third base. There's not a whole lot more you can do, right? But you got to act a certain way. And the interesting thing is the Reds had two of those guys at the same time. Phil was running business, and right. Dick Williams, also a son of an owner, was running the baseball side. And you didn't see this out of Williams. You know, he seemed like a guy who was very confident in his own abilities, and he had his, like, you know, prep school look. But he never would said anything like this because he has self-awareness. Yeah, yeah he, he was Phil Castellini in some ways. I mean, you're right. That's, that's such a great point that I hadn't thought about. Yeah, but he understood his limitations, hired great people around him. And, uh, but he, you know, he, and, and you can't, you don't have to think, squint very hard to imagine a situation where Dick Williams is given that interview. And he says the simple thing, which is all that Phil Castellini had to say, which is that I know they're frustrated. We're frustrated. We're going to, you know, uh, we're going to do better. But they're right to be frustrated. We haven't gotten it done for them. And, you know, um, we, we love you guys, we, and we want to do this for you, or, you know, some version of that. Just any, any hostess at a restaurant who's dealing with people who had to wait, any flight attendant on a plane that's delayed knows how to handle customers who are upset, and they don't flip a middle finger <laughs> twice in a row. You know, I was I was so excited to talk about the the Reds this week. Actually, genuinely, after that Brave series, I was pretty. You know, I mean, I don't expect any more of them than I did before. But they they look they played pretty well, and there it was a lot of fun moments. Hunter Green, you know, whatever. Tyler Malley's good. Um, Tyler Naquin's on one of his patented uh, hot streaks. Uh, and, and I didn't want this first episode to be dominated by Phil talk, but we had to talk about it. We you just can't ignore it. This is the story around the Cincinnati Reds this week. And so um, I know people would rather talk about baseball. I would rather talk about baseball. But, again, I just I, – I basically want to take credit. I, I think we, as a group, need to just take credit for Phil uh, Phil's comments. So any final thoughts on it, either of you? To me, it's vindicating. I think that's the biggest thing, is we've been saying for a long time that there's a problem in the ownership suite. And – like that self self imposed completely brought on by themselves self inflicted they showed everybody in the world that there is a problem in that ownership everybody knows now we've been wrong about mil- millions of things but here this is proof that us whining about this uh we were right Nate any final thoughts before we move on no to, to actually this is an important story but Nate I'm going to ask you about what really is, other than Phil, the set, we'll say it's the second most important story. Tonight's starter for the Cincinnati Reds, by the time you listen to this, you will uh, you will know that, Luis Sessa. You know, he's been called the Reaver San Martin of the bullpen. <laughs> is that really what they're doing? Is, this, is it an opener thing? Yes. I think it's like it's their really, really poor attempt at a distraction. They're like, see, look at us. We're just like the Rays. We make the playoffs because – we throw out starters. We throw out relievers. I would have loved to have seen Sessa come in after Tony Sancion. In the that same game. Cleveland game. Yeah. 
Yeah. They're, they are really, really on this Tampa thing now, aren't they? I saw John they, Faye. Yes. John Faye had a tweet saying, and I don't know where John gets this information, if he got it or he made it up, but he said, you know, the Reds are replicating the Tampa model and including the fact that that they're going to use a whole bunch of pitchers and, and short outings and openers and all this kind of thing. Well, I liked your comment about it, about the Reds choosing to go the Tampa model. What would you say about it? Something like they're not putting the thought into it or the research into it that Tampa did. They're just basically like, oh, here's what they did. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like, a, it's like a, from it, all it appears to be is like a superficial copying. Like what Tampa does is, is pretty unique and there's a lot of work behind it. They don't just get lucky. And they don't just say, well, we won't pay anybody and we'll get rid of anybody that makes money. That's not the plan. That's like, that's the end part of the plan. Right. There, you know, the fact of the matter is there are, were a lot of people, including some within our Riverfront family who were okay with the idea that we're going to, you know, build uh, through the farm system, you know, all the stuff that Nick Crawl said. And, and the fact of the matter is, okay, if you really believe that they have the talent in place in managing to execute that, then you can, Maybe buy that that's a reasonable way to put together a franchise. Saying we're going to do, use the Tampa Bay model. Okay, well, to, to a certain fan will think, wow, that's a small market, and they win. So, yes, I, well, I want that. I'll take that. Uh, the problem is, do you trust this management team to execute that, number one? And number two, do you trust this ownership to let them execute that plan? If you, if you trust the management, do you trust the ownership to let them try to execute that without – reversing course in two years like they've done every two years since Castling's on the team. Explaining that plan would have been a great answer. Phil should have used. <laughs> he was that. Right. Yeah. This is what we're going to do. Right. Yeah. That plan to me reminds me of the guy who says, uh, you know, yeah, I only throw, I only throw 80, 89 miles an hour, but you know who else only threw 89 miles an hour? Greg Maddox. <laughs> right. like, yeah those two things are true but that's not the important part of it you know tra- trading away guys once they become valuable and good is not the fundamental aspect of tampa what they're doing so well we'll see we'll see well, the, good, the good news is after all this and after uh you know a rough two game stretch against cleveland our two and four beloved cincinnati reds get to have a nice easy casual series against the quadruple-A Los Angeles Dodgers. Yeah, right. They always succeed out there. You know what's going to happen. Luis Sessa is going to be magical on the mound. Jake Fraley is going to hit two homers out of the third hole. Do you think David Bell will pull Luis Sessa when he has a (laughs) no-hitter? He has a perfect game through two, and he pulls it. We'll have to be outraged. Would you all pull Clayton Kershaw? If if you all didn't hear this, Clayton Kershaw had a perfect game through seven, and manager Dave Roberts pulled him from the game. Quickly, leave we don't have to get into this. Leave it up to him. Leave it up to him. I wouldn't have pulled him, but if he said he was done, he's, getting, yeah. he's been injured a lot the last couple of years. Maybe he wants to prioritize this uh, potential World Series run. Make it his decision. Yeah, I saw. Uh, they, they said. Uh, they said when they asked Kershaw, he's like, "I knew I wasn't going to get through the game." So he's like, "I was fine coming out." And I think that's probably it. I mean, it sucks, but he wasn't going to throw nine under any circumstances. He said he didn't even start throwing until January. Neither did I. This is another thing. Like maybe, maybe throw pitcher. Well, I think he was hurt, wasn't he? Excuses. What? Come like on, be a man. It's like something Phil Castellini would say. You grit your teeth and man up. Uh, anyway, so okay. Uh, what else? Is there anything? There's no other news uh, we need to talk about. The Reds looked not great in the Cleveland series. Let's go into some viewer mail. Uh, these questions come from our friends at riverfront.com slash Patreon Cincy. No, that's not it. Patreon.com slash Riverfront Cincy, uh, where you two can support the uh, the podcast. And um, our first question comes from, and many of these are about, uh, you know, Phil Castellini and that. So but there's some good questions, so we'll, we'll run through some of these. Some of these are not. First comes from Hooper Powell. Me not living in Cincy. Hooper Powell, I believe, lives in the Columbus, Ohio area. 614. There you go. God's country. I think I would happily root for the Reds who call home in another city over a mediocre Reds owned by horrible owners. Am I in the minority? Well, uh, we don't have to go too deep into this, but a, a kind of a corollary is let's say the, the Reds are not moving. First of all, the Reds are not moving. If the Reds moved, would you stick with them? 
wherever they moved, Nashville or wherever. I guess that, that's that's really the question here. Do they keep the same uniforms? So it'd be the Nashville Reds, same uniforms and everything. Because that's all. You know, stupid, like this is how stupid it is. It actually kind of makes a difference when you think about it that way. Yeah. If they became the Charlotte Knights, that's a good point. And they're black and gold or something Wouldn't versus care. the Nashville Reds. This is like it really is laundry. We really are rooting for laundry. At this point, it's just shared trauma. Like, I'm going to stick it out because I have been miserable for a long time, and I want you all to be miserable with me until we can celebrate together. I, I think I'm liberated at that point, and I pick a new team. Yeah, I think me too. But, but, but if, they're, if the laundry is similar, yeah, I might stick with them. And I would, but, but then the question is would you prefer that over what we've got, over if a uh, Castellini product? For the rest of your life, as a as a well, baseball, it's awfully player. generous of Hooper to uh, refer to the Reds under Castellini's ownership as mediocre. <laughs> that's, that's true. That is generous. That's yeah. the upside. Yeah. No, I don't know. I, I, don't I would. Know. Just, I, I would like the Reds to be in Cincinnati and win, but I also live in this universe, not the one that Tom Holland's in or whatever. I don't know how that movie worked. Um. Next question, Jerry Sedath. We kind of already. Yeah, answer this, but it's a good uh, question. Do you know if the red social media staff get combat pay? They've had to withstand a lot uh, of incoming fire the last month. Actually, we did, we talked about the PR team, not the social media team. The, the, if you're ever on the Twitters, first of all, delete your app. Okay. Don't ever. And if you're not on the Twitters, don't get on it. But it, it, it I don't think it, it's not funny. It is kind of, it concerns me how many people scream at the at reds accounts on Twitter and everywhere. <laughs> As if, you know, Bob Castellini is monitoring those replies or Nick Crawl is monitoring those replies. Yeah. Don't add them. Just don't. There's almost no circumstance other than, like, I was at the ballpark and this usher was really nice to me at Reds. Like, there's really no need. Right. They can't control they, – they're not sending a report of mean tweets to the ownership suite every Monday morning. You're just making people who are good people, young people, want to get into the business. Probably an intern. Yeah. Yeah, they're not, they're not interns. They're community managers. They're, they're first job out of school. And they're paid to deal with it, but not that much. Leave them alone. And let them, let's let them bask in the glory that is Joey Votto's social media just development instead of adding the Reds. Well, can that I, whole thing thing feels weird. Does he have like a, a social media Sherpa like following him around and like scripting out content? Like it feels so polished. It does a little. It does. Yeah. I wonder. You I think he can? Care. You think he can afford to have somebody to advise him on that? I don't know. This is the first thing with him that's just felt like a half note off to me. I don't know. It, it, it seems a little to me similar to the you know a few couple years ago in here a few years ago when he started showing out, out more on the, on the, on the field, you know, and, and you know, messing with fans away fans. I don't know. In some ways it seems a little bit like that. Yeah. Can I, can I play devil's advocate on the, uh, the social media team though? Um, the at reds account, uh, they used to follow me on, on the Twitters. And after I was too critical of uh, ownership, they at some point surreptitiously unfollowed me. Really? Yeah. Yeah. All right. I'm reversing course. <laughs> At the Reds account constantly. Well, somebody was paying up attention then. Yeah. Well, somebody must have, I guess. But I need everyone that's listening to this go to go to your Twitter account at Reds. Why did you unfollow Dotson C? No, don't do that. Do not do that. Please do that. No, it's some kid. Who cares? I don't care. Matter of fact, I, I encourage all of you to unfollow me. They they knew what they were doing. They were ahead of the game. Um, next question comes from Kyle Kapler. Kyle, in their own respective ways, who is worse at talking? Nick Crawl, Phil Castellini, or Boomhauer from King of the Hill? I believe after episode 419 episodes, the first Boomhauer reference. <laughs> I can say that I'm pretty impressed that we had an episode titled, I'm pretty sure, Nick Crawl's Bad at Talking and somehow might not win this, this race. Right. Good job, Phil. You did it. Oh. I, I've been waiting, actually. The fact of the matter is, with my ridiculous accent, I've been waiting for people to start calling me Boomhauer. <laughs> I don't know. I think I've um, taken the heat off of you a little bit. 
Uh, maybe so. Maybe so. The answer is still Mick Crawl. Uh, not to go back to Phil Castellini, but I love the fact that uh, that uh, Phil Castellini thought it was a, a great compliment of Nick Crawl to say he's like a bull in a china shop. This is a great compliment of our general manager. That. Exactly. I enjoyed that so much. Like that's not that's not even a thing. And so quickly on it. It, what they say, he, he's got his he's got his approach and he moved on it. I don't know, moves on it strongly is a different thing. But um, it gave me the impression that the Kyle Bodie thing was a crawl, a crawl philosophy change there. So you think that that crawl is the architect of this, you know, of the the the, the current quote unquote plan, rather than this being the only thing crawl could do, given the fact that owners were going to stop paying. Uh, it's, I mean, that, that feel. so the first thing I'll say is nothing that, that Phil Castellini said made me think it was in the least bit calculated or planned out. So everything he said was like what he was thinking at the time. And I, I, yeah, I do like either, I mean, crawl might've been like, I know which way the wind's blowing. I'm going to go that way. But it did seem, you know, he made it sound like crawl had this idea and he was running with it. I, I'm, but the, the bull in the China shop is going to be used every single time. Every single time I read about, about uh, Mike Miner being injured, I'm going to think about that bull in the China shop making that deal. <laughs> right. He is the bull in the China shop. Ah, mercy. Okay. So, um, Nick Kroll, by the way, it's true, by the way, the name of that episode, whatever, 300, whatever, he is bad at talking. Um, uh, but just quickly, you talk about Nick Crawl maybe seeing the way the winds were blowing. That's the way you put it. And so maybe the, you know who else? It's 100% clear at this point. Dick Williams saw which way the winds were blowing. And he took maybe self-awareness or not wanting his name attached to this disaster. Whereas Phil Castellini doesn't think it's a disaster. He's like, come on. It's all right. Have some faith. Dick Williams is like, oh, man, this is about to get bad. I love this. What are you guys going to do? This is a great conspiracy theory that uh, Nick Crawl's the – to, to use a Lord of the Rings reference, a Grimo worm tongue. She's controlling the king from behind, making the Castellinis do his bidding. I'm all about this. Did you understand a word of what he just said, Chris? No. Most um, of our listeners and viewers will understand Lord of the Rings. That's view. probably true. That's probably true. Um, <laughs> yeah. Worst movie ever to win Best Picture, Lord of the Rings. I will say... Um, I had a really good two hour and 40 minute nap in that theater. <laughs> which I think means I watched about an hour of the movie. I'd pay $14 for a good nap. No, oh, that's actually a good point. That's actually a good point. I've only seen the first Lord of the Rings movie. I didn't watch the other two. I just so brutal. I tried to read the books. Terrible. Cold Rough. takes. Cold Rough. takes. Was Rough. Rudy in the books? Rudy? Rudy wasn't, wasn't Rudy wasn't the guy. Wasn't, oh, was Rudy, the, the after Rudy. Yeah, it was, it was after he left Notre Dame. Okay, all right. Next question comes from our friend Rich Thompson. Rich, you know uh, you're my favorite. Okay, but we can't recreate your entire um, question this week, so we're going to shorten it a little bit. Um, he, Rich is, is loquacious. Do you think that Joey could pull off either being a, uh, a late night or TV game show host? If yes, which shows would you like to see him host? Chris is trying to keep me from being able to read that question on our shared document. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> Do you think Joey could pull off either being a late night or TV game show host? If yes, which show would you like to see him host? I I mean, the only answer is, what's that? Yeah. You got an answer? Go ahead. Yeah, I thought it was obviously uh, he, he hosts a podcast on the Ringer. Or I'm sorry, the, uh, the Riverfront Podcast Network called uh, Who's On First? Okay, I'm in. I'm in. Oh, I love this question so much. So, I'm a big game show host, big game show fan. Joey could do any of them. I mean, he could oh, do Jeopardy. I was going to say, I see your name on the screen. If you're not watching, if you're not watching on YouTube, you're missing it. Uh, he beat me to it. He could do Jeopardy. He could do Family Feud, like a la Richard Dawson, like kissing all the ladies. I thought about one. that one. Even though, like, that's taboo in 2022, Joey could do it. Oh my God! What what would I give to see him walking on a thick shag carpet, carrying a two foot long microphone, and hosting Match Game 2022? 
Oh, it would be joyous. Listen, people, okay, I'm, I'm showing my age maybe, but I mean, I didn't see it when it came on. But, you know, if, if you've never been down the rabbit hole of match game episodes on YouTube or where, you know, on the Game Show Network, uh, you know, you can see them there. Where, um, I'm telling you, it's the greatest game show in the history of game shows. And I will plant a flag. The, the, the funniest person in the history of not just America, not just in the last century and a half, in the entire history of the world is Charles Nelson Riley. Charles Nelson Riley was God's gift to comedy. He's a saint. Was a delight. And for those of you under 40, I am just as clueless as you are. Uh, uh, you know who Charles Nelson Riley's best friend was? <laughs> um, no. Brett Summers? Burt Reynolds. Ooh, oh, okay. Well, now you loop me back in. Now you got me. I really have no idea how, but him and Burt Reynolds were like really tight. If you don't know who Charles Nelson Riley is, as most of you probably don't, Google him right now and then just sit back, relax for a moment, and imagine the Charles Nelson Riley, Burt Reynolds buddy comedy. I would watch two hours of that before I'd watch some you know, goblins with big ears and big feet chasing <laughs> down, I don't know, Very feet. precious. CNR, as we call him. Was uh, wasn't he the voice of uh, one of the the, the characters in uh, Charlotte's Web? Okay, maybe I don't I know. I believe if you were a kid into uh, cartoon pigs, was it Charlotte? Uh, negative. Wilbur. Wilbur. I know too. Uh, no, you know, I think he was the rat. I think he was the rat. I, I don't remember a rat. Oh, there's a rat. Well, Charles right. Nelson Riley. Thank oh man. This is the second time Chris and I have almost we're gonna cut nip in the bud, but there was another episode in the past where we really spent way too much time talking about match game because it is it's just American television hall of fame. Oh, you know, I think I, I I'm pretty sure that match game is how uh Richard Dawson got family feud. Oh he was, he was so good on match game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was fantastic. And and I you know, my wife and I watch it and we get upset when someone doesn't pick uh Richard Dawson for the uh, you know, oh, you know money, money final round. Oh, the guy's great. Oh man, we've got to start our match game podcast at some point, Chris. <laughs> That's it. Live, live. We got a uh, mystery science theater commentary on live watching match game episodes. Exactly <laughs> two listeners. <laughs> That's all right. We'll, we'll enjoy ourselves. Oh, man. Match game twenty twenty two with Joey Votto. I'm in. Um, James Urban asks, again, these questions from patreon.com slash riverfrontcincy. Cheers, gentlemen. I just wanted to ask, do any of you all actually know all the names on the roster? I had no idea Brandon Drury was even a player on the Reds until that opening night home run. Strange times when you don't even recognize the players on your own team. I guess that's what I better get used to. Um, that's an interesting question because I don't, I'm still not entirely certain that Brandon Drury actually exists. Well, I called him Chris Drury half an hour ago, who I now realize was a hockey player. <laughs> if you, you asked me to to list all the players, I would definitely leave out at least four. Well, there's like yeah, sixteen pitchers, so that's not fair. I don't, well, I, don't, I, don't I don't learn reliever names until no options until they like until they blow like three games. Yeah, just don't bother. What about that? Who's that one guy they got? Like Aramis Moran or something like that? That guy's pretty good. <laughs> that sounds fake. Yeah, I don't know. This team is actually, again, this is not an awful team. The Reds have had much worse teams in our lifetimes. But there's some guys that you can already tell on the opening day roster that five years from now you're going to be scrolling down that baseball reference page and you're like, ah, that guy never played for the Reds. I've never yeah. played for that guy. And Brandon Drury's probably one of them. Okay. Our buddy Ob Obscure Former Reds Twitter account is already – he was like even you can see him like rubbing his hands together. He's like, I see several guys on this roster I'm going to be getting familiar with in the future. <laughs> oh, that's funny. That is funny. Um, and Drury. I guess I'll say this for those of you who OPS plus. What's that? Brandon Drew. There's two seventeen OPS plus. That'll play. That'll play in the big leagues. Uh, if you're a, a member of the Patreon family, you have access to our back catalog of Patreon episodes. And there's at least one, maybe two, where Chris and I actually did a deep dive on obscure former Reds. And I had more fun oh, on those best. shows just 
thinking back about ridiculous reds. Let's just name some guys. Yeah, we literally just spent an hour just naming guys that we kind of remembered or maybe didn't. And <laughs> I don't know why it was so much fun. I don't, I don't know if you do this, but I used to do that when I get together with my friends from high school. Oh, absolutely. Just naming guys. I saw a tweet once where it's like, and it was, it was the most perfect tweet ever. I don't even know who, it was, who said it, but it was something like, guys can really get together and just name sports guys for five hours and have the best time. <laughs> just n- remember names. <laughs> it's oh, yeah. so true. You get it's true. The smartphone was the, was the death of the barroom sports argument. Yeah, that's the I, cell phone, right? Yes. Yeah, I sent I sent uh, some buddies from college the other day. I saw a, a reference to Rob Nen Ooh. out in the wild, and I texted it to like five guys, and it was a, just a delightful Saturday morning. All right. Oh man. Sometimes uh, we are ridiculous. All right, a couple more, then we'll get out. Thomas Dennis, is the market for the Reds as small as Bob likes to think? I'm not sure which Bob he's talking about, but uh, let's see. We'll finish the, the question. Is the market for the Reds as small as Bob likes to think? For example, Denver is a larger city, but does that mean it's a larger market? Ohio is twice the size of Colorado. There are no other large or medium-sized metro areas near Denver compared to Louisville, Columbus, et cetera. Only one other city of over 100,000 people within a half-day drive on the whole is Cincinnati's small market or mid-market. And, you know, I guess you, you can argue either way, I guess, but the question is, does it really matter? In, in, in the current state of, uh, of, of economics in the game, there's no reason that a team that, if you're arguing that they're small or mid, they still can compete if they want to. I don't know. Maybe I'm missing the point of the, uh, of the question. Either of you have any, any thoughts on that? Run your business. Yeah, I mean, I think you're right, Chad, but I also know that, you know, Bob Housem and Dick Wagner had this idea of Red's country, which was multiple, multiple. I mean, look where you guys grew up. You're nowhere near Cincinnati, but that you weren't the only Reds fans, you know, right? Like it was Red's Red's country. It was Red's country. So there are ways to do this. And the, the, the current ownership team's not terrible at it. But I mean, the bottom line is you got to win. And as they said, they they took their shot. They thought they had their shot in 2020, and they took one bad beat and they gave up. But if this team was winning, if this team was in the playoffs every year, if this team won a World Series and was good a couple more times, they would own that geographic area again. Indiana, Kentucky, Tennessee, West Virginia, uh, Virginia. Western Virginia, West Virginia. They would own, they, and they would own Ohio all the way up to Ashland. Yeah, yeah. That's all it would take is that commitment. And I don't, I don't know. It just so I, probably technically a small market if you just look at the Cincinnati, greater Cincinnati area. But there, it's 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 a Bob Housen. Those guys had it right, and it really worked for a while. And then when they tried to win, you saw what happened. People of my generation, nature generation, we were brought along by the big red machine fans, you know, who fell in love. Uh, you know, we were, you know, three and a half, four hours away where we grew up, but it was still Reds country. They still talk about the time that uh, Pete Rose came to speak to a local high school baseball banquet in uh, the town of Pound, Virginia. Pound, Pound, Virginia. Um, Pete Rose went to Pound. I'm, no, I'm not going there. TJ Hurston, if this hypothetical situation played out, would you be okay with it? The answer is yes. First of all, yes, please. The Reds ownership wants to be like the Rays. The Rays ownership wants fans that actually show up to their games. The owner and front office have decided to switch teams. Castellini with the current Reds front office end up in Tampa with the Rays, and current Rays ownership front office end up in Cincinnati with the Reds. Do you take that deal? Yes. yes. <laughs> I mean, Yes. Please, I'm begging you. The warm weather is going to be good for you, Bob. Go on down. Go. Poor Bob. Did you see, did you see Bob on opening day? His hostage now? The pre-recorded. Did, did you see? I, I, I only saw a still photograph of him looking befuddled at that kind of Jim Day post-game show set. Yeah, and again, um, I think what we saw on opening day is obviously Bob is still the – owner of uh the 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 critical share but um 
and that's why we, you know, um, targeted him. Becoming increasingly, increasingly clear that Phil is the uh, is really running the run of the show, which should terrify you, Reds fans. It do. All right, last question. Seth Shaner asks, how's everyone dealing with the realization that we need to bend the knee and grovel at the lap of our Castellini overlords? How fortunate are we to have someone who cares enough for us that they actually do us the favor of owning our favorite baseball team? Seriously, though, do you think Phil heard us talking about the idea we're going to enjoy the team and not the owners? Did he figuratively say, hold my beer to his dad and do his best to make us loathe everything about this franchise? Now, we've, we've beaten this to, to death, but I wanted to make sure to let Seth have his comment because, yes, there you go. Well, uh, hold my beer, says. There, there was definitely a uh, a kind of Colonel Jessup and a few good men vibe to his <laughs> his commentary, wasn't it? You I, can't I, have. <laughs> I'd appreciate it if you say thank you. <laughs> All right. <laughs> you need me on that wall. Yeah. Oh my goodness, Phil Castellini. Has anyone? The answer is yes, but I'm going to ask the question anyway. Has anyone in American history ever been more confident? With let with fewer results than Phil oh, Castellini, but the answer is yes because uh, Phil Castellini is not uh, atypical in <laughs> American society over the years. So, uh, Nate Dotson, do you have any final thoughts for us? I just want to you know huge shout out to the Riverfront community, guys. Uh, we we had some mild expectations for this billboard. Really, it was just a uh, little, little tip of the cap for us and no one else, and. It worked way better than we thought it would. We broke the guy, so well done. Um, honored to be a part of it. Absolutely. Chris, any final thoughts? Go laundry. <laughs> we have the best laundry, especially that sweet red coat, sport coat and those sweet sunglasses. Did, did you hear him bragging about his sport coat on the, the Moegger <laughs> interview? He didn't. He was like giving a shout out to the tailors and like he was very excited about that red sport coat. Hmm. This is the team. This is the team we chose when we were nine years old. And I just don't know why. Thank you all for listening. As Nate said, thank you for being part uh, a part of this crazy week here. It's been wild. Uh, obviously I was, you know, gonna, gonna play some of the videos of the, the news footage of, you know, the riverfront on all the local news stations, but, Things happened since then, so we didn't get to do that. But this was all, uh, you know, all that was possible because of uh, uh, the incredible support of the Riverfront family. We're at youtube.com slash Riverfront Cincy. If you're watching us, you're probably watching us there. Give us a like, a subscribe. Please share us, uh, comment. You know, we, all, the, all those things help, uh, you know, get, a, get us more people watching. Um, we're at Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, at Riverfront Cincy. We're at patreon.com slash Riverfront Cincy, where you two can support the team, and join the family. For Nate Dotson, for Chris Garber, and for our guy Phil Castellini, this is Chad Dotson saying so long, everyone. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.